Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that matter, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and help your lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. I am Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center, now located at the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus in McHenry, Illinois. Um, We're at the corner of 31 and 120. So if you happen to be out this way, stop by and say hi to us. We've got a holistic veterinary pet store here. Uh, We've got an indoor dog park. And this weekend, we're having a big adoption event. So we'll talk about that later. Um, 13 puppies are coming and some adult dogs are also coming with the new rescue that's that's working right now. So it'll be really fun. And then um, it was actual National Puppy Week this week. Very cool. And yeah. We have a puppy-related question coming <laughs> up from yeah. We have a puppy-related question coming up from one of our patients, and if you have questions, you can always reach out to us at Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. That's our Facebook group. Um, the group is kind of a good mix of people, new and some that we've known for a long time, and they're helping each other out, finding holistic solutions, and we can also help you out as well. So we have several questions from our group that are going to be coming up in the next half hour. So. We'll be talking about those. First, I wanted to talk about um, the success story that we had. So we had, um, and this is like super, super common, especially with pit bulls, uh, itchy dogs. Like everybody's got an itchy dog, it seems like. And um, we have uh, Mr. or one of our one of our clients, I won't say their name, wrote a five-star review. They had a very allergic pit bull boxer mix. And at one point, we didn't know what to do how to feed her. Um, and then you went ahead and you started working with this dog. So um, Lucy gets a skin rash, maybe from a seasonal change or something she found on the floor. She gets bad. She gets super itchy. Um, she's actually doing great right now. So I mean, for all the people out there with an itchy dog, how did you solve this particular case? Well, the great thing about working with this clients or the it's a husband and wife is um, is they were very patient and willing to work through it because the bullies have probably the most problematic skin and they start the mm-hmm. earliest of most breeds. Uh, so we, first of all, the get Lucy comfortable. You know, we had to use a little bit of steroid, a little bit of antibiotic sometimes just to get through those breakout phases. So first of all, we got to keep them comfortable. Conventional medicine is good for that, but it's not sustainable. So we use the SRT program to work through each level to determine what was creating the problem. And we found out most of the time it was food related. Uh, one particular time, unfortunately, one of the, the house members that was living with them was, was feeding her a little bit of cheese uh, and they weren't aware of it till they, uh, so they had uh, kind of a family meeting and said, okay, what's going on here? And realized, the okay. The dog's again. Dog's the itching cheese. again from Aww. the cheese. So uh, it, it could be just little bit of things like that that can set them off again. But uh, eventually worked through it and she did really good. But the, the key component to allergy or skin diseases, mm-hmm. she had more, uh, the bullies get more atopic dermatitis, is we have to be patient and work through it slowly. Uh, and if they you're were, using a holistic approach? Really both. Either you know, way. Either way. Um, but realize that conventional therapies work really well in the beginning, but aren't sustainable mm-hmm. 
So I found it, it's, you got about a two, maybe three year window there where it's working really good and all of a sudden it stops working. So you do have to treat the patient. You got to get rid of whatever the body's mm-hmm. picking up on that keeps reacting to. So once they're re-exposed to those things, you're not going to see an outbreak. You're just going to see a response that says, okay, no big deal. Um, and, and move on. So we're just retraining the biocomputer, if you will, just to handle life a little different, you know, without breaking out through the skin. Now we're just uh, reducing that toxin to nothing but a, just a fizzle. Mm-hmm. So you used um, SRT, uh, the custom holistic testing program on mm-hmm. this particular pet. Um, you used custom herbs. Mm-hmm. So is everything you're using here, it's not going to necessarily go and apply to the next dog? No, strictly individual medicine. And um, for Lucy, we did use some Chinese herbs as well to help with the pattern of disease. Um, and every patient's a little different. And that's the way it has to be, is that not not all allergies are created equal, even though you know conventionally we may see as any itchy dog is an allergic problem. And most of the time it is. But, uh, and the medications work quite well initially, unless it's a food sensitivity, and then we don't see it work quite as well. Uh, But there again, it's not sustainable. You want to be able to wean them off of that and and eventually get them off the medicine, which is much more sustainable for them because it starts out young. You don't want to have a lifetime of of health issues and a lifetime of steroids and things like that, because eventually they hit middle age. And middle age can be much worse if they went into middle age with allergies, mm-hmm. you know, so you want to clear that it's a young dog problem most of the time. And, uh, you know, by the time they reach that middle age and start to have other hormone problems and organ system issues, uh, we want to have resolved that. So they're on their own. Mm. Okay. Right. They have room to fight other things off. Right. Not now, just constantly being drugged down by allergies. Right. Because after seven, they're, they're going to fight age. And age is not a disease, but it being a senior dog is a condition. Just like for all of us as we get older, we don't want to be fighting disease into the elderly stage of their right. life. You know, right. we want them to, that way it's more sustainable and they can reach um, much uh, higher ages. You know, I think really dogs can average between 15 plus years of age. Uh, we don't want to put limits on the other side, but I think they can go at least 15 plus. Any size dog, in my opinion, mm-hmm. could potentially do that. But you do have to work with them, work with your veterinarian. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to go totally holistic, but have maybe your primary care and have a holistic veterinarian that you're discussing uh, in discussion groups as well that are, are out there to help you work your pet naturally as, at the same time you're treating illnesses. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so let me just ask you one thing is, is cheese a problem for every dog? Not every dog, but, um, dogs weren't designed to really digest dairy products after they're weaned. Okay. So they lose their lactase and they earn lactose mm-hmm. become what they call lactose intolerant. Uh, a little bit, just like a, a little bit of ice cream is fine, but some dogs are extremely sensitive to that because, the intestinal tract doesn't differentiate that dairy as well. And it creates what they call macromolecules. And those macromolecules uh, can poke little holes basically uh, into the intestinal tract and cause the leaky gut problems that we see uh, with, with chronic allergies. All right. So uh, we have a listener saying, what's your knowledge on nutrition response therapy for allergy dogs? 
Well, nutrition response therapy is that we are using nutrition to really, um, you know, try to find the answer because you can use food therapy mm-hmm. uh, to treat disease. It's, it's a longer process, but if we have a known food sensitivity, then uh, we want to start off with extremely novel proteins. And those novel proteins um, are usually in the non-processed form. Uh, proteins they haven't been exposed to before. So okay. say they were on a chicken-based diet and they were uh, on a dry <laughs> dog food, then you could use a whole chicken. You can go with beef, but something fresh. This simple. is my least favorite topic yeah. in the whole wide world. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I absolutely yeah. can't stand the talk about proteins. But that, <laughs> I don't know why. I just, ugh. I know. I just, well, you have to <laughs> we all have our thing, right? <laughs> right. It's a processing, you know. And if, if it's, uh, But for dogs, you, you got to get rid of the processing first and then find uh, the right protein. And then it's a period of time when they're on that. Is how did they respond to it? Are we seeing... Uh, improvement, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. You know, usually uh, food therapy uh, and, and food response therapy and nutritional response is going to take it's up to three months at a time before you, if you're just using food, sometimes you have to use uh, other therapies along with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of um, emerging protein sources in pet food right now, everything from bugs to uh, plant-based proteins. Um, this article by Greg Aldrich, PhD in Pet Food Industry News, says there, by one estimate, the increase will be 7.3% annually from 2020 through 2026 in the global demand for animal-fed proteins. So, We're already experiencing, in this article he says, experiencing intermittent shortages of turkey meal and dried egg product, and those were primarily due to COVID-19 supply chain disruption. So we've been talking about this for a while. Mm -hmm. We're seeing um, pet food companies and the horse feed companies not able to get the ingredients they need to make the pet food. So we've had some issues with um, Royal Canin. Some of those things have been backordered, stuff going on with that. And then also um, in the horse feed, some of it's actually raising in price significantly, mm. or you can't get it, uh, or it's on a delay because um, the supply chain has just been disrupted by COVID. So not enough help, stuff like that. Um, so they're saying um, insect proteins, single cell proteins, which is like uh, brewer's yeast. Mm and saccharomyces, stuff like that, microalgae and pulse proteins. Those are emerging protein sources in pet food. So some new things you might be seeing on your bag that are coming your way, but they might be necessary. This guy says, uh, Greg Aldrich, Dr. Aldrich says, due to just the global population, the global pet population, people want more animals in their lives. So this is just something that's gonna be happening and people are going to have to say that, we're going to have to use maybe a different source of protein this time. Not everything's going to be beef or salmon or anything else. Yeah. And it's standard. It, and we, we know now that dogs are a little bit more omnivorous than we are just like we are uh, versus cats are strictly uh, carnivorous. They, they need meat based protein, but uh, some of the more not, and this is a novel protein too, is uh, to be able to use that. We want to make sure that it, it, it's not so much, the 
the protein itself, but how it's processed. Now, so this is the question that we just had yeah. um, coming over our Facebook feed right now. Alana okay. asks, any thoughts on grain versus grain-free food? Do you feel this is a major reason for allergies or more based off the proteins or additives in the food? I, I really think both, but it, it boils down to how it's processed, you know, and because um, some of the additives, especially preservatives, uh, kind of get a, a lot of, um, uh, of press in terms of reactivity. Uh, also, the, um, the type of food coloring sometimes used in the food uh, to make it look more presentable to us as owners, not so much for the, the pets, but for us as owners, and also um, how that protein is processed. And if we get a little deeper into that, and is when that protein was alive, how was that raised? Was it raised on organic grain? Was it raised on uh, GMO-based grain? Because basically what they were fed is what's in the protein uh, that goes into the, the pet food. So consciousness about that uh, is very important because that can also cause reactivity. Uh, so when we use the uh, products like Farmina, we are going non-GMO, but we're going very, very, well, really not much processing at all. It's cold pressed. Uh, so they're controlling the temperature of the uh, the food as it's being condensed into a dry formula. So it's a raw dehydrated kibble. Right. So it's raw yeah. dehydrated and it's just broken down. So it's not a raw food. Uh, it in, looks like regular it, dog food yeah. when you feed it. You don't have to feel like, Ugh. Yeah. Um, you know, like what is that? But you right. open the bag, one of the bags of the, <laughs> the bags of fish came open in my car mm -hmm. like a summer or two ago. And it was just like, Oh, what, in, what did the kids leave in this car? Yeah. <laughs> it was just the, <laughs> yeah. the bag of oil of uh, Farmina. One of the, I think it was fish and orange or something came open in the car. <laughs> it, smells like it was bad. Stuff, it took right? me a while to figure out that one of the dogs had bitten into it on the way home. <laughs> yeah, definitely so, fresh. Yeah. For sure. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's just a lot of information out there about pet food, but now, you know, there are groups, group after group after group. You could join a thousand groups probably on Facebook about pet food alone, raw feeding, kibble feeding, whatever. Um, you know, there's a million things out there, but people are becoming like more and more unable to discern what is really the truth behind pet food. Yeah. So um, there is actually also, and this is from pet food industry as well. Um, Debbie Phillips Donaldson writes that the confusion over pet nutrition calls for some consumer education. I would completely agree with that. Yeah. You, you know, get people saying, Oh, I can't do that because I read that dog food is bad or um, kibble is bad. I'm not doing that. I have to feed raw dog food. No, you don't. No, right. you, you don't have to, but you do have to, because there's so many dog foods out there now versus say 30 years ago, you know, and uh, buyer confusion can be massive. And we do the greater understanding of the, your pet as an individual and what the individual needs are, but really looking at the, the label and talking to your veterinarian about it uh, and saying, you know, is this the right type of protein? And, you know, when you're starting off feeding them, don't buy huge bags, you know, buy a small bag and, and try that. But uh, it, what's going in, watch what's coming out. I know it's gross, but watch what's coming out. If, if it seems to be uh, normal quality and the pet's not scratching or itching and the coat's looking good, you know, it's probably the right dog food. But realize it's not the same dog food for life. And mm -hmm. that's with these newer dog foods, unfortunately, 
years ago, there wasn't many choices. So you fed dog chow their whole life. And so um, this article also says it's the sensationalistic headlines and simplified coverage that are not helping educate people about what's really in a, a real dog food. I mean, what's actually meat and bone meal, mm -hmm. you know, what is actually a byproduct, you know, what exactly is that? So, so tell me a little bit. So one thing I see all the time and it just drives me crazy is on all of these pages, it's like, vets don't know anything. They, they were educated by Hills. And it's like, (laughs) oh, please. I mean, you know, coming from people who don't know what it's like to go to vet school. So what did you learn about pet nutrition in vet school? Well, it is, it is limited. It was limited. Now this was, um, I'm going to be a veterinarian for almost 23 <laughs> years. So, you know, but back then, um, a lot of our nutritional education was done through the prescription diets. And, you know, was there a little bit of marketing going on? Sure. But that's with any, any representative that's going to sell dog food is going to sell their dog food to you. They wouldn't tell you this is crappy dog food. Don't buy this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going to tell you the best part of it, but you have to be educated and know, okay, what do those ingredients mean? Look them up. There's plenty of, you know, you've got to watch Dr. Google, but there's a lot of good information on there about what these byproducts are. And, and if it's within your philosophy, you say, yeah, that's okay with me. Then it, you know, feed it. But, um, but it, the, uh, the misnomer that we're uneducated about nutrition, uh, you know, it's is plus there's And plus there's yeah. all the self-education you're doing and all the self-learning yeah. you're doing as you keep practicing after 23 years. So right. I don't right. know that one. I don't know when people do that stuff, it just, it's an immediate red flag for me that, right. I don't know. Somebody's just talking to talk. I think yeah. um, there is a new, <laughs> There's other things I could say, but I'll just say that. Yeah, yeah. So there is a new website. It's a consumer-focused website about pet nutrition. It's called monose.com. So monose.com. Um, and it includes articles about various elements of pet food and nutrition, an ingredient glossary, and reviews of pet foods that are already on the market. And while they're kind of just getting this website going, they do have some criterion for the reviews. Um, so not just anybody can just get on there and be, you know, just say it's like, oh, it's this, oh, it's that, this food is no good or whatever. <laughs> you can't really do that on this website. So it might be a little bit better trusted source. Um, and it's coming from, I believe, a PhD um, in nutrition or something like that. And um, anyway, it looks, that one looks pretty good. So it's monos.com and that's recommended by Pet Food Industry News. And I think that they're a pretty reliable source. We actually refer to a lot of their articles on here. They're really good. So um, you might be able to pick up on some of that on their blogs and stuff like that if you want to read up a little bit on that. So, um, you know, looking at trusted sources, um, you know, your veterinarian is a trusted source, even if, you know, you're reading on the internet other things, you know, I think just, as I always say, be cautious and kind of weigh that one out. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm getting a lot of questions about the flea and tick life cycle. So we had this poor girl. She came in the other day and um, she was frantic. She had just picked up a brand new puppy and she's kind of looking at it, playing with it, you know, going through its hair and realized it had fleas. Mm -hmm. And she was just like itching and like, I don't want to do this. Oh, my gosh. And it's is it all over my house? What's going to happen? You know, and there is a flea life cycle. But this is probably one of the hugest questions that we get 
asked, especially at this time of year. Someone sees a flea, it's over. They want an answer right now. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And how are things going to get better? Yeah, it's a scary situation because uh, unfortunately what happens is that uh, the flea life cycle, um, it's been said that one flea could lay up to 10,000 eggs. You know, so an infestation can happen very, very rapidly. Um, The female flea, surprisingly interesting fact is that they can they can live up to 100 days unless they feed now feeding is that they have to bite whatever they're interested in so let's let's talk canine fleas or feline Mm -hmm. fleas Uh, most fleas are going to be the dog flea okay and this female can eat up to 15 times their body weight every day and i read that's like the average 140 pound woman eating 4,800 hamburgers a day. <laughs> now that's pretty massive, but that blood protein is really important for those fleas for two reasons. One, flea egg development, but number two, what that flea dirt is, is not poop. That it's a little bit of waste in there, but it's blood. It's dried blood. So, and when their dogs are scratching, they're scratching the eggs off and the blood. So in a few weeks, that little egg is going to hatch into a small larva. And that larva is going to feed on that blood, mm-hmm. that dried blood. And so eventually it develops into the pupa stage. Now, this is where it gets challenging because once that little rascal encapsulates, it can live up to a year in that cozy little capsule. Yuck. Okay, so in condi- when conditions are right, then it can break through the capsule and then you got a live flea. All right, so the simplified walkthrough here is you got the adult flea, um, 40 to 50 eggs laid a day Mm -hmm. for the first two to 10 days. Then there's the larva stage, which live in the pet's environment for 7 to 21 days. The pupa stage in the carpet or outdoors. Mm -hmm. It's like a little silk-like cocoon, they said, Mm -hmm. and that can live for over 200 days very durable. It's like, like that Kevlar, you know, they can sit in there. Okay. So how do you get rid of them? Well, step one, we got uh, to look at, find the source. So um, it's usually, um, you know, during the summertime can be under pine trees or or places like that, for example, also in the house, especially carpets, the fleas, good news, they can't live on hardwoods very long. So they got to have carpet. And for obvious reasons, the hardwood is going to scatter all of the, the dried blood for the eggs. So, um, and then step two is uh, a good flea uh, prevention program for your pet, okay, we, because we don't want them being the source of continual feeding going forward. So we want to stop so it. So the at, feeding is what right. is making them, it's making it worse. Right, because okay. if the female can't feed, she's a, she can't do anything. Then she'll die. Then she'll, and she'll die okay. eventually. So you want to stop the feeding first. Okay. So you have to use topical therapy. Now, the question is, should I use a natural therapy or should I use a traditional therapy? If you've got a flea infestation, don't, there's, don't there's not enough evidence on the natural therapy to have a quick knockdown. So you've got to use your traditional conventional therapy. Get that on board. Probably the best thing is to hire exterminator because they're going to come in. They're, they're, they're certified uh, they're bonded. They're going to come in and take care of your house. It's a little more expensive 
then you do it yourself. Uh, but a lot of do it yourselfers will use uh, the flea bombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, can that make them sick? It can make them sick. And you, so you do have to have a certain period of time where everybody's out of the house. Mm-hmm. So you got to find a, a friend's house or relative and go stay there mm-hmm. for maybe a day or yeah. so and then, and then come back. Um, the exterminators use very pet-friendly, human-friendly products uh, okay. so that the, uh, you know, talking with your individual exterminator, uh, you can get more information about those products. Mm-hmm. You can also vacuum all the time to try to get the, yeah. the um, little cocoons out of there. Um, the, if you do, I mean, I don't really know anybody who uses a bagged vacuum cleaner anymore. If you have yeah. that, you got to throw the bag out every time. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I'm not really sure how you'd care for a regular vacuum or if they'd even really be able to live in there anyway. No, if, you got, if you're using beaters, it'll kill 99% of them. Okay. And that was, a, uh, I believe, a study done at Kansas State. So that means you have to clean everything. So that's your, you have to regularly vacuum your furniture floors, yeah. skirting boards, bedding. They do get in between um, your hardwood floors if you have, you know, the little cracks between the boards or something. Mm-hmm. They do get in there. So shop vacuuming, maybe we'll get them out. I've also heard, I've heard a couple of things like salt water might kill them off if you have just hardwood floors Mm -hmm. and then um there are some other natural products out there but like you said you just never quite know is this really you know i mean we hear natural products all the time that either don't work they're taking your money or it's just you know like ineffective in the the long run or sometimes you'll find something that works yeah with with an infestation you want to go conventional but maybe you can use those products as their preventives going forward yeah you know, uh, especially in the household, because like mm-hmm. citronella, for example, lemongrass, um, these are very, very good repellents. You can spray it around your house, um, you know, spray it in the areas where you think maybe there's going to be a, a flea infestation. What I found is under uh, pine trees, fleas love that because it's so dry under there. Uh, when those pine needles fall down, it, it's like a, a beautiful dry bedding for them to, to live in because fleas don't like a lot of moisture. They can't live. Oh, really? It's, it's more of the dry season. So that's why, in, you know, in this area, when there's a lot of dampness, a lot of rain, mm-hmm. you know, we're worried about ticks now versus mm-hmm. fleas. Right. And the tick, I actually have the tick forecast here for 2021. Cool. So um, one of the tick products that a lot of people talk about online is Wonderside. And it's, I believe, made with some cedar oil or something like that. But mm-hmm. big municipalities are actually buying Wonderside and using it to control their tick populations. Mm-hmm. And they do have a pet line in case uh, you're interested in that, looking for something natural. Um, our dogs already came in with big, huge ticks on them, and one of them was a deer tick. So I uh, had to be careful and start dosing everybody the other day. We can't, you know, really do anything too natural, um, but it's honestly never hurt any of our dogs because we still live in an environment. I mean, it's the woods and running around and the dogs outside all day. So yeah. it's not, you know, like a traditional like city suburb or anything like that. <laughs> not even close, actually. And um, in fact, one of the dogs last night, I saw her face was completely splattered in mud, her whole entire body. <laughs> She's just living it up. So yeah, they're, <laughs> go ahead, I guess. <laughs> they're out in it. That's a really good point is, is, uh, you know, look at your geographics, your you know, risk factors and your risk factors, because, um, you know, w- where we're living out, out in the country there is, is, um, you know, unfortunately tick haven. And so we have to use something that's going to do it right. Uh, we can always rebalance them and detox them from anything that they get from, uh, mm-hmm. uh from the internal or yeah. external products you use. 
So um, the alternative is always worse. So we, we don't want infestation in your house. We don't want ticks coming in your fa- house because. Well, they get, you know, they, I mean, we've actually had ticks. We, we've had um, animals die from untreated flea infestation mm-hmm. and untreated um, tick infestation. So it, yeah. it just happened. It does actually really, it does happen. So yeah, just does, letting you know. For sure, especially the young so, patients. So um, the tick forecast from pets.org um, or pests, pets.org, pests. Dot org. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll be talking about that uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes because we have to take a break. Um, and then also when we come back, we have a bunch of questions from our viewers and listeners who are with us on our Holistic Vet Advice page uh, group. It's Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. The group is on Facebook and um, you can join it and we'll try to help you out if you have something going on with your pet that we can help with. Um, One of the cases on there is very interesting. This cat, it's a kitten. It has a lot of different health problems and one of its poor little toes. If you guys want to get on that group, um, I'll approve you in. And um, you can see this poor kitty has one toe that's huge. Mm -hmm. It's got to be uncomfortable. So he's actually looked into this a little bit and he has a solution for Daniela. And then also uh, wanting to know about a specific food uh, that's fresh. You can buy it in the grocery store. Um, One of our uh, listeners wants to hear more about that. And then a question about house training your puppy and how long is it before they're truly house trained? When is their bladder mature? Okay. So we're going to talk about that coming up in just a couple of minutes and uh, we'll take a little quick break right now. Okay. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You 
you are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson, and um, we're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center here in McHenry, Illinois. So if you guys have any questions or concerns about your dog, you can't find a holistic vet, you can always get on our holistic vet advice group. It's Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson, and that's on Facebook. So um, just, you know, kind of looking and seeing, looking through all of our questions this week, we have several to answer that are coming up. But first, we're going to give you the tick forecast for 2021. Okay, so if you live in the Northeast, basically leading to above average tick populations, that's from the website pests.org. Forecasters said uh, this summer, we'll see spring and summer temperatures around the regional average, more precipitation than usual, and that's leading to above average tick populations in the Northeast. In the Southeast, um, it looks like a pretty average year for them. Uh, It says um, a cooler spring and summer are untapped this year, meaning that the region's already long tick season won't go any longer than usual. Mm, Good to know. That is good to know because they have a a really long tick season and flea season down there, basically 24-7, right? Yeah. Okay. In the Midwest, warmer temperatures will prolong the tick season and wetter conditions will make ticks more widespread than usual. Ticks in the Midwest include deer tick, uh, the brown dog tick, the American dog tick, and the Lone Star tick. So unfortunately, more ticks than usual, already seeing cases, already having ticks coming in. Okay, so um, we'll remove them for you here too and identify them for you. So you just have to bring it in, bring your dog in, and we'll just take it right out for you, okay? Um, And it gives you a little peace of mind knowing, you know, whatever that tick was. You might have to do testing though. Uh, Is there... Is there a tick that's like, you know, like you see it and you say, oh, that's going to need some kind of testing? I think you should test them all. All the ticks? Find them. Okay. Yeah, because um, you're going to know for sure what they're carrying. And what are you testing for? Uh, well, for the, uh, the deer tick and Lyme disease, and then uh, for the brown dog tick and the um, American dog tick, uh, Ehrlichia, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Uh, or, and anaplasmosis are the three main ones that we're right. looking for. We can do that in a snap test here too. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are getting a heartworm test, you can just get the additional tick testing. Mm-hmm. So that's available probably at most vet clinics across the U.S. Um, you can also have it sent out to a lab. A lot of clinics will do that as well. So sometimes the lab might actually be cheaper than doing the in-house snap test, but you'd know pretty quickly on that. Yeah, I was thinking, well, yeah, for, for testing your pet, definitely the blood test. Um, but if you find a tick, you can actually have that tested as well. You can oh, send you it can. out to the, uh, the, to the public health department and see if that is uh, actually a oh, carrier. Really? Uh, oh, interesting. That, you know, so if you find one, you know, um, preserve it. How do you preserve it? And uh, the best way is you can put it into, um, if you're going to have it tested, you want to just put it into a little plastic bag or a mm-hmm. plastic vial. So oh. if you want to kill it, you can put it in alcohol, but then it's not going to be really testable yeah. afterwards. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, kill all the organisms. All right. In the Southwest, um, this year's El Nino weather pattern will boost humidity and make the desert states more friendly to ticks, while a drier summer along the Pacific coast will make ticks less likely to intrude on residential areas and keep the tick season within ordinary bounds. And then from pest.org, um, the Northwest. So the Northwest is expected to be warmer than usual, making ticks and their hosts more active. But even though some parts will see less precipitation than average, that won't make for a dent in the tick-friendly humidity that the region is famous for. Mm-hmm. So pretty normal tick season in the Midwest, though you got a little bump up. So already seeing that happening. It's good to have a forecast. Then you can kind of prepare your, your flea yeah. and tick uh, applications for the season. So there's this new study. It's really a small, small study, though. And it happened in France. And it's about COVID-19 and how it might be affecting pets. And two, um, this is also from petbusiness.com. Kelly Lindenau is the author of this article. She says, two recent reports found the first evidence that dogs and cats can become infected by the B117 variant of COVID. This variant transfer more readily between people and appears to be more lethal. This is the first time concern about the impacts that the mutations have been seen in pets. And researchers from the French National Research Institute for Sustainable Development studied cats and dogs admitted to a clinic in London. With a focus on the pets in the cardiology unit, they noted that the clinic observed a spike in the incidence of myocarditis and inflammation of the heart tissues that can cause heart failure in patients, which went from 1.4 to 12.8% between December 2020 and February 2021. So a three-month period of time. That's a little bit scary. So tell me about that a little bit. Well, is this a variant? I don't even know if we have this variant in the U.S. yet. Yeah, there have been a couple of cases in the Chicago suburbs of a European variant that has come in, but it's something to keep an eye on. Especially something like that. If you if you only had one point four percent cardio cases, and then all of a sudden you're getting twelve and a half percent spot, you know, a big spike like that in in rarer diseases, then you definitely have to take a look at what the heck's causing that because. Uh, and so because of the pandemic going on, you know, the first thing they're going to look at is, is there a connection with the COVID virus and the mm-hmm. spike, you know? It wasn't very many animals, though. So that's one no. of the, you know, that is one of the things. Definitely something to keep an eye on. They're probably going to be talking about that one in the future coming up. Yeah, it's a left, you know, it was only 11, I think. Uh, yeah, 11 dogs. 11, oh, and that's dogs cases. and cats. So yeah. more cats, actually, than dogs. Three dogs, eight cats, I, yeah. if I'm correct. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think there's anything to worry about too much at this point. Uh, and we'll just have to see what's going on with that. Okay. Yeah. They'll keep checking on it. And I think it's good, you know, to keep monitoring because um, there's always that potential. And um, when we have people doing studies and, and keeping watch like that, we're making sure that, that there's no bad outcome that's coming from COVID to our pets and vice versa. Right. And we certainly don't want to get into that. I hope it, I hope it just stays where it is right now. Yeah, just, just stay <laughs> yeah. friendly. <laughs> All right. So our holistic vet advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson group, we have Daniela's question. My adopted kitty has had many health issues from scabies to ringworm and is actually undergoing treatment for FIP. He's had this problem with his paw since October. And at first it just lost all of its hair and they attributed it to the ringworm. But once he was cleared from the ringworm, the hair hasn't grown back. And as you can see on the pictures, it's very swollen. 
this looks painful, this mm-hmm. poor kitty. The vet recommended an antibiotic cream, which seems to have lowered the swelling, but nothing has cured it yet. And they can't tell me what it is. Last time they did a culture, it came back negative for fungal or bacterial infections. So we still don't know what he has. They can do certain procedures on him due to his FIP treatment. So just wanted to see if someone here might have an idea of what this is and maybe possibly give me some guidance on how to treat it. Well, the the first impression of it is that, and I used to see a lot of this years ago in in Ohio, it's called feline plasma cell pododermatitis. I'm going to hold it up uh, for the people who are watching on our Facebook page. Mm -hmm. You can see the picture. Yeah, there it is. And that would be my very swollen and it's only one. And the nail looks a little weird to it. The nails like sticking straight out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you get that pad swelling like that, then you're going to get that nail bed involved too. Yeah. It can sometimes uh, cause the the nail to slough in the short term, but not necessarily destroy the, you know, the the rest of the dermis there. Just not a new nail. Um, But without bacterial, and we can see that the rest of the pad especially on this view, you can see that the whole paw is almost swollen there mm-hmm. all the way around. And um, the plasma cell pododermatitis uh, was a, it was a diagnosis and we don't know a lot about this condition, but it is immune mediated and uh, mm. pets who more commonly have FIV uh, have it more often, but FIP couldn't uh, be out of the equation as well because you're, you're basically dealing with the immune system. And um, to just get ringworm alone, I think the, we have to start off with immunodeficiency as being the main problem because uh, ringworm and, and, uh, and, and FIP, these are organisms that under healthy circumstances, most pets uh, don't, uh, especially with an FIP is actually feline coronavirus, but not related to the COVID. Uh, and at the same time, it can become active and flip over to the FIP for version, which is much more virulent. And, um, but healthy, there's a lot of healthy pets that are exposed to Corona, but never jump over to FIP. Uh, same way with, uh, with ringworm, you know, it, it the, uh, the pet has to have some immunocompromise going in uh, to allow ringworm to form. So we get the ringworm cleared up. We, we manage the FIP, but we still have to deal with the immune system and uh, with this type of inflammation, first of all, uh, the way I like to look at it is we got to get the pet out of the emergency or discomfort. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, we got a double-edged sword here because we got FIP. We don't want immunosuppress, but at the same time, we got inflammation. But uh, short-term prednisone use may be warranted so you can control the dosage. So very do- low dosage levels to control that inflammation. Um, second of all is we have to look at the pattern. So we've got excess heat. Uh, we've got um, uh, the fact that we have FIP. Uh, also, um, we've got damp heat and inflammation in the paw. So one of the things I like to use is Wei Chi Booster. Uh, and that helps to balance the immune response. So it's not so virulent and so reactive, but it also helps to target the redundant cells we're trying to get rid of. Um, the other one is four paws damp heat, even though we're dealing with one paw, uh, that helps to get rid of the excess damp and, uh, and it can also reduce heat as well. And this is more natural, more sustainable long-term, but initially we want to take that temperature down on that toe just to protect the integrity of the toe because of 
more inflammation that's there, we're compromising vascularity, we're compromising the nail bed itself. And so we may have to use a little bit of anti-inflammatory for that. All right. We have a live question now uh, from Suzanne. She says, hot spots. How do you feel about a topical mixture of tea tree, organic unrefined coconut oil, and internal coconut oil? It has appeared to help our Scotty, wondering if there are any dangers. And yes, there are when you're using tea tree oil. You have to be careful with that one. Um, You know, it depends on, obviously, the concentration, where you're getting the tea tree oil, all of that stuff. Uh, But it does say that tea tree oil has resulted in pet deaths. So that's something you want to be concerned about, obviously, um, when you're using any essential oil. And the smell of that essential oil is another issue because, you know, dogs can smell like crazy. So um, explain a little bit about that. Well, it depends on the quality of the oil, number one. Um, very high quality oil is very potent. Um, and we always have to make sure that we're mixing it with the carrier oil. Um, the second thing is that most of the time essential oils aren't taken orally. So if you're putting it on topically and the pet's licking it off, mm-hmm. uh, we do have to be careful um, with that. So make sure it's in a carrier oil, uh, make sure it's covered so the pet's not mm-hmm. ingesting it directly. And you're probably pretty safe with, with most uh you know, skin issues, but if, if it's take on, with the rest of the recipe you have going there too. Right. I, I think we're, you know, it, it seems okay. You know, you've got coconut oil, which is a good carrier oil, but it should always be somewhere around six to eight drops to one to two teaspoons of carrier oil. So I try to go high, you know, one, two teaspoons. So you're making sure that that's uh, very, very diluted out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If you're using a diffuser, you have to dilute it. Just a couple drops really is all you're going to need in your house for that diffuser. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you get to going with more than that, then you're going to have some issues with your right. pet. They're going to be much more sensitive mm-hmm. to. Um, I mean, one of our, actually one of our, um, in that group that we have going, uh, one of the people said she really hurt her cat that way. And she yeah. really regrets using the essential oils in the way she did, you know, mm-hmm. in her house and stuff like that. So, which is unfortunate. Um, another question, how long is a puppy it, until a puppy's bladder is actually mature? That's a great question because um, when they're puppies, every month equals one hour that their, their little bladder can, can hold. Okay. So, at around eight months, they're going to be able to hold it eight hours. So we assume that somewhere between eight months to a year that that bladder is going to be fully developed. But um, even as an adult, you don't want them to go more than eight hours without, uh, you know, urinating and um, and clearing that bladder out because the, the longer they hold it, the greater the risk that you're going to run into um, overstretching the bladder, uh, hurting some of the, the, the cartilage that's actually in that bladder for expansion. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so and then it can lead to bladder infections and cystitis or bladder inflammation. So, uh, but, you know, one month equals one hour as, as you go along. So, but about eight to months to a year, you're going to see a mature bladder. Okay. All right. Another question from our Facebook group. Uh, what is Dr. Carlson's opinion on the fresh pet food line, which can be bought in the grocery store and pet stores? We know this line quite well because um, our daughter's dog, uh, it's the only thing she would eat for a really long time. Then she was off it and onto something else, but to get her to eat fresh patches, it was all that she would do. Um, The one thing that stands out on this label, which is beef, chicken, beef liver, 
lentils. So you always got to watch the legumes and then also the pea fiber. Right. And in this case with fresh fat, um, because it's fresh food going in, you're going to see less issues with the legumes as you would, um, you know, if it was in processed dry dog food. So I think we're okay here. Um, just be aware that, um, you know, there can be sensitivities with pea-based and lentil-based proteins. Uh, so just being aware of that. Uh, lentils, chickpeas, um, and then uh, peas themselves. All right. Well, we've got our little friend here that we've been referring to in our breaks in our show. So this actually, what I'm holding here, um, some of you can see this on Facebook, and I'm sorry that you can't see it elsewhere, but I'll post a picture because it is literally a full-size dog pelt. So our daughter is grooming here and she had a dog come in. Like you can literally just lay this on the floor and it's the shape of the dog, but it's pelted. So we're seeing a lot of really over matted, super pelted um, dogs coming in. So if you can brush your animal, you know, and get that winter hair out, this is a great time to do it. So you don't end up in that pelted situation. This dog actually bit off one of Avery's artificial fingernails. Yeah, he, <laughs> it was, was not happy. he was not happy. He didn't want to be touched that way. He didn't want to be brushed that way. And you know, that's why they have to come to a groomer. It's, it is, it's totally acceptable. I mean, you cannot, you know, lay your hands on this dog without the fear of being bitten. So, um, Working on that over time is is good, you know, and, and going to a trainer maybe would be somebody who could help you out with some of that. Additionally, um, you know, keeping your dog on a grooming schedule is also very helpful if you can find somebody who can work with your animal or could at least um, give you some something to relax before the grooming. Yeah. What, the, what are typical medications you give for that? Well, the CBD or hemp is really good. That can help with calming. Oh, okay. uh, so the tropic CBD treats we carry are in, and also like pet relief. Um, the second thing uh, is that um, in some cases we may be uh, needing uh, some anxiolytic medications, which are short-term use, but realize that none of them are designed to work perfectly. So if we really have a scared or fearful dog, it's going to take the edge off and not take the bite mm-hmm. or the fear necessarily all the way out. Um, in most of the time, especially in a pelting situation, is that the skin is going to be really sensitized because um, it, it's like uh, it, it's almost it's like pulling knotted, it. isn't yeah. it? And pulling all and, the time, and you're blocking the pores of the skin, so they're going to be, it, that's going to be congested. The um, it's actually when those when that undercoat forms together, it, it's actually like just lightly pulling on your hair all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I think that would be really uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. So starting young, starting early. Um, even for short coats, just, just going over them with a light little soft bristle mm-hmm. brush, it, it reduces that tactile sensitivity and makes it much more easy to handle yeah. whether you're bathing or, or brushing or, or grooming or not. But, you know, like so many people have taken in rescues um, and, you know, you don't know really their history of being groomed. You don't know, you know, what their likes and dislikes are, or, you know, what happened in the beginning. So, um, yeah, there's, there's some issues there for yeah. sure. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we have... Persian cats. And I mean, you want to talk about hair. Okay. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a picture on one of our pages of Chucky sitting there. um, And he went on the kitty bloom product from, well, bloom products is the name of the company in Ohio. And he, so after he did that, he really started to shed out his coat. He's absolutely beautiful. Now these products are, I mean, they'll make your cat look like 
a movie star. And his pile of hair after being brushed was bigger than he was. Like you couldn't, it was terrible. So Chucky, um, but you know, Chucky bites, Chucky growls, um, (laughs) Chucky, you know, goes, you know, like claws, scratches. He does anything to get out of it. And we've done everything right. So it's just not necessarily going to be your fault. So don't feel bad. You know, if you have a situation like that and you have a pet who just, I don't want to be groomed. You're not going to touch me. And I'm going to go crazy when you do. Right. So it's the nail trims are really bad too. So that's one where people really yeah. struggle. Yeah. And, and uh, unfortunately the nails need trimmed more frequently than we realize now because mm-hmm. a lot of pets are on meat-based proteins and they grow super fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now that we have a groomer in the family, I really actually appreciate that service. Um, right. I know once I started getting Chorky groomed professionally and having her done every, you know, on a schedule, it was like, why, you know, what was I doing before? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> yeah. everybody in this house needs to be groomed a lot more than they actually were. So we did start, um, but just definitely one of those um, interesting little things. So um, we have a new study out, another one, the surprising way dogs act when they know they're being watched. This one's from petbusiness.com. Um, it talks about dogs that are the most interactive and engaging of all animals. So we all know that <laughs> desperately seeking human reaction and interactions at all stages of the day. So they did some studies and showed like when someone was absent, when they were present, when they were present and attentive, like playing with the dog, offering verbal praise, petting, but not encouraging them to, you know, like play. Mm-hmm. So, um, the videos were reviewed by all these people. Do they videotaped everybody? And they said the attention is seen as reinforcement. So play is reinforced with the owner's attention. Increased play may be caused by increased psychological arousal caused by owner attention. I think that, I think you could see that though. Like once you, you ignore the dogs a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really know why, but you, you just kind of have that vibe about you. It's like, no, I'm eating. Don't interact with me. But if I pay attention to them at the table or something that is on, you know, I want to play. I'm going to put my head in your lap. I'm going to put my head on the table. I'm going to eat and eat and eat, you know, I'm going to beg food and all that stuff. So I get that one. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) The owner's attentiveness may make dogs feel safe and comfortable. That's kind of cool. It could be an attempt to get more of the owner's attention when they act up. (laughs) And the attentive owner's presence increased the dog's oxytocin, which causes a more positive overall emotional state. Mm -hmm. And that was a key point is that when you're attentive to them and when I'm eating, that one thing you don't want them to do is become attentive to you while you're eating, because then they're going to give you the puppy dog stare for one thing. And they're going to make, they're going to try to eat um, off your, off your plate. They're going to eat off your hand, uh, things like that. Uh, We don't want to get into that. The other thing is that, um, you know, it it can set the precedent for training. Uh, So once you're looking at them, that reinforces their behavior. So whatever they're doing, they're getting attention for. All right. So. Um, Tony says she has three cats. The largest is 23 pounds. Oh my. Wow. <laughs> the other two are not as big. The big boy is a tabby, not a Maine Coon. So um, she has uh, a diet on a food called fat cat. Do you have any recommendations to help them all? Well, it depends on what, if fat, how long you've been on fat cat because uh, fat cat can, 
uh, be good to reduce calories and, and improve metabolism. Uh, but the first thing is that we want to consider if any one of these or maybe all three of them would start taking a little bit of fresh food with their uh, with their dry, dry cat food and or wet cat food because uh, raw food can help a ton with re- increasing metabolism. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can also go to PetNutritionAlliance.org yeah. and they have a pet food calculator that'll help you out as well. You can put in any pet food you want to. It'll tell you how much to feed and gives you a treat budget too for your cats. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. Hope to see you soon. Have a great day. Have a great one. Thank you for listening this week to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson, again next Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now go make some time with your best friend.